Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. There is only really one subject for today's podcast, and that is Saturday's game at Brentford, where the home side blew Manchester United away. Adam Crafton and Jay Harris were there to witness it, and we'll talk about it next. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Well, before we talk about United, let's talk to Jay about Brentford. I mean, the difference, Jay, was stark in every single department, really. Yeah, definitely. And this is a team who pays such meticulous attention to detail. You know, in the build-up to this match, Thomas Frank and his coaching staff went back and analysed all of Manchester United's pre-season games. Obviously, the two defeats of Brighton. And they kind of had a sit-down and kind of looked at what's kind of the best possible approach for us to, to take to, to try and win this game. And um, in the build-up to this match, I think people had kind of forgotten every time Brentford played a top-six team at home last season, it was a really big occasion. So I had a feeling that something was going to happen in, in this game. Whether Brentford were going to win or whether it was going to be a really high-scoring match, you think of the 2-0 win over Arsenal, the 3 0 draw with Liverpool, even when they lost 1-0 to Chelsea, and then when they lost, a when they lost 3-1 to Manchester United in January... That's the game where Thomas Frank came out afterwards and said, we absolutely destroyed Manchester United. So I, I just had a feeling that something special was going to happen in this game. And as I've already kind of mentioned, the way they approached this tactically was just simply phenomenal. They played with a 4-3-3 against Leicester, switched to a 3-5-2, and it just worked perfectly. Before we go into to the real detail of, of behind the scenes at Brentford and what they've been doing and how they planned for it and the traps that they set for United... But obviously, both of you were there. I think what's, what's really interesting about one of the things you said there was a big occasion when one of the big six come to Brentford, which is understandable in your first year back. To do that again in the second year back, I, look, I've seen plenty of examples of where it all goes a little bit flatter in the second season because it's not quite, you know, the fresh, exciting thing that it was the previous year. So that's a credit to everybody connected to the, to the club Fans most definitely included. Yeah, I actually asked Thomas Frank about that um, before the first press conference of the season. I said, is there still that kind of same level of excitement? And he said, look, I don't think it would be human or I don't think it's quite natural to kind of repeat an experience and still have that same kind of level of energy. But what they kind of always come back to is that Brentford are still punching above their weight massively. They're still such a small club in, in comparison to other teams in the Premier League. Still have one of the smallest budgets. So to even be at this level is just such... 
it's such an opportunity they relish. They're never gonna they never want to get to the point where playing against Manchester United is is routine. It's just so much fun. And yeah, they just kind of like attacked it. First home game of the season, and it was just brilliant to kind of see that atmosphere was being retained. Adam? Yeah, I mean it was it was really interesting like after the game when you're talking to Thomas Frank and I mean for for people listeners obviously don't get the chance to speak to speak to Thomas Frank, but the energy he gives and how open he is as he talks and the personality that comes across. And, you know, we just had sort of a five-minute chat with him in a kind of huddle after the game, but you come away from it almost like, I want to I want to work for this guy. I want to spend more time with this guy. He's got so much to say, so many interesting observations. Um, I think um, Alison Rudd from The Times asked him, you know, where uh, Damsgaard, the new signing, might fit in. And, and he's already going through, well, we could change it this way, we could change it that way, he could go here, he could go there. And just so many things he has to say. Um, reminds me a lot of Jurgen Klopp in terms of that kind of cuddly but demanding attitude. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just two clubs in completely different situations. I think also one thing that I've seen before every Brentford game, and it happened again on, on Saturday, was that whilst Manchester United were training, all of the Brentford players kind of like got into a massive huddle and you had Brian Reamer, who's the assistant coach, you could just see him really passionately talking to every single one of them. And it happened during the water breaks. You know, I think Brentford were 2-0 up when the first water break happened. And Thomas Frank comes over, whacks this massive tactics board on the pitch, starts kind of pointing to them all. I remember at one point, De Silva came over for a throw-in and Frank had a piece of paper and he's tapping him, saying something to him. It's a manager who's just so enthusiastic, gets his message across to the players in a brilliant way. They obviously have as part of their coaching team someone who left Manchester United in the summer, which is Justin Cochran. So what has he brought to the Brentford party? Yeah, well, lots of different things, really. I did a did a long read on, on Justin recently and I got the opportunity to speak to Chris Ramsey, who's obviously technical director down at QPR. But um, Justin's described Chris Ramsey as his, as his coaching mentor. They worked together in, in Tottenham's academy, I think, 10 or so years ago. And Justin's just someone who people have described as a coach who has the ability to connect with people from from loads of different ages. And when you're at a football club, and to take Brentford, for example, you've got players who are, you know, Pontus Janssen, a really experienced Swedish international, 32 years old. And then you've got Aaron Hickey, just turned 20 years old, coming from a completely different culture in Italy. Justin's got the ability to kind of connect with them and, and improve both of them in different ways. And they're two personalities who will need to be approached in different ways. And Justin's official role at Brentford is head of coaching, so he kind of works alongside Thomas Frank and his assistant coaches, Brian Reamer and Kevin O'Connor. And for what I've been told, a lot of the work he does is on the attacking side of the game. So it's just so many different things he's bringing to the club. And I think also there's such a massive Danish culture at Brentford and obviously it's worked really successfully for them. But I also think bringing in, you know, a black coach like Justin Cochrane will kind of enable him to talk to, to some of the other players in the squad people like Ivan Tony, Shandon Baptiste, Josta Silva, potentially in a really different way. And I think that's something that should be celebrated and embraced as well. And he also, he had a big, big impact. He was only at Manchester United for a year as a head of player development and coaching. He was working kind of between the under-17s and 23s. And, you know, United obviously massively underperforming as an institution. But they, you know, they got to the FA Youth Cup final, I think this year for the first time in 11 years. A lot of people behind the scenes were crediting Justin with a lot of the work that went on there behind the scenes in terms of improving the culture of the, of the academy and the youth team. So, yeah, like like so many people at Manchester United, one of those who have left in the past year or so and probably being missed. 
Well, he also, didn't he, Jay, sent out a tweet afterwards saying, you know, an incredible day for Brentford. We go again. Good to see some friends from Manchester United. Spoke briefly with Anthony Alanga uh, and Alex Garnacho. Afterwards, I wish them well for the remainder of the season. I mean, this isn't this isn't the United section yet, but it's evident that he has that connection with the young players. And as you say, Hickey, um, Lewis Potter as well, who they signed, you sort of sense those young ones that they brought are the ones who could really benefit from him. Yeah, definitely. But also for, for Justin to kind of put a tweet out like that, you know, a month, six weeks after he's joined the club, kind of shows how much he's been brought into the ethos and the culture already. But yeah, that's where Justin excels, really. He worked with England's under-15s, under-16s, under-17s. You know, throughout his career, he's helped, you know, players like Harry Kane, Oli Skip to develop. So Brentford probably would have thought, we've got so much young talent, that's kind of the way we recruit in the transfer market. Can we get a coach in who's going to take it to another level? Because they're now buying Hickey and Lewis Potter for fees in the region of 15 million, 16 million pound club record signings. They need to make sure that they maximise their potential to the utmost and getting in someone of Justin's qualities is only going to help them do that. Uh, set pieces were again a feature, weren't they, uh, on Saturday, which is, have been a Brentford strength, not just this season. Yeah, I spoke to, uh, to Adam about this after the game on Saturday, trying to quite work out... Um, in the politest way possible if Manchester United had actually done their homework. There's obviously been a lot of kind of comments about Lissandro Martinez's height and anybody that's watched Brentford over the last year, as you've said, knows they're good at set pieces and also knows Ivan Tony's incredibly good in the air and at holding the ball up. So I spoke to David Rea and Ivan Tony after the game and they said it was something they'd worked on in the week to hit the ball long towards Ivan and he'd bring the ball down and bring others into play. The fact Martinez was taken off at half-time kind of gives you an indication that Ten Hag got that move completely wrong. And from set pieces, again, Brentford have scored, I, I, can't, I haven't got the numbers off the top of my head, but I think they were third behind Liverpool and one other team for the most goals scored from set piece situations last season. We also know that they're incredible at long throw-ins. So again, you should be looking at how you can put a little bit of height into your team, but you should also be analysing those patterns of play to work out if they do this routine, how do we stop it? If we do that routine, how do they stop it? Brentford hit their corners to the back post four or five times towards Ivan Tony before Man United actually clocked on what, to what was going on. And that just suggests to me they hadn't, hadn't done their research properly. Yeah, I mean, the really interesting thing, I suppose, from the United perspective on the set pieces is, you know, everyone is talking about uh, Lissandro Martinez. And we we're speaking to people this weekend about you know how much you know, Manchester United as a club, their recruitment team, were really interested in Martinez. I think what's very clear is, you know, he's a player that had played for Ajax for three years under Eric Ten Hag. Uh, when Ten Hag arrived, he immediately said, this is a player I want. Now, Man United's recruitment team and scouts had been watching Ajax a lot over the past few years, probably from the point of that Champions League run onwards. And at no point were the scouts coming back to coaches like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Ralph Rangnick, higher up the food chain, saying this is a person that we need to go and spend a lot of time looking looking at a closer examination. Now, that doesn't mean he's a bad signing. What it means is Eric Ten Hag has come in and, and they've gone very, very strongly on his recommendation. Now, at the point of which the signing was made, United say there was consensus between scouts and football director and the head coach. It is interesting that one of the things that scouts were concerned about was that he might get trapped in at set pieces. 
and that's one of the things that we obviously saw for the Ben Mee goal. The, uh, I mean, the other thing Brentford did very well, Jay, is they ran. <laughs> I mean, I mean, although that, I mean, I shouldn't. I mean, although really, I mean, they should all run, shouldn't they? Every team should run, but that, but they are. I mean, that they are a, a fit, well-oiled outfit. Definitely, when you know. Adam was talking earlier about what a, what a good personality Thomas Frank is in, and he's got a few catchphrases that I picked up on over the last year. And the one that he says the most is he wants his team uh, and the club in general to be confident but humble. And when I spoke to to the players after the game, also spoke to, to Josh De Silva, Matthias Jensen, David Rea, the one theme that they said constantly was that they knew coming into this game they needed to work hard. They needed to outrun Manchester United. De Silva said, we really to get any type of result against Manchester United need to be at least a 9 out of 10. And that, that that's just to get some sort of positive result, not necessarily a 4-0 demolition. And we saw it from, from minute one. The way they were pressing high up the pitch was just simply, you know, incredible to watch. And, and Manchester United didn't really have an answer for it. But then I also think they kind of switched to five at the back when Man United were in possession. And the way that they defended the low box with such intensity was fantastic as well. I remember there was a point in the first half where Ivan Tony made an interception in his own box and then Ronaldo pushed him over. There was a point in the second half where United had a counter-attack and I think it was a foot race between Jane and Sancho and Brian and Bumo and Bumo pretty comfortably won it. And that kind of ethos, you've got your two strikers willing to work so hard for the team, that's just kind of like what should be the founding principle of, of any football team. So the fact Manchester United couldn't do that and were outrun 14 kilometres more than Brentford, um, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a sec. It is a really worrying sign, surely. Just before we do that, and we are, we'll come on to United after the next question, you talk about the confident but humble. The players wanted Monday off, is that right, Jay? And, <laughs> yes, and, yes. And, and Thomas Frank turned that down. But, but I think that's really important, actually, because... You know they're not they're not a League One side that have just beaten Manchester United in the FA Cup and you know can go on the pop for forty eight hours because they're a professional Premier League club who are at the same level as Manchester United. So um, it's it's work. I think I think that's a, it sends out a really important message. I think that that you know hang on a minute it's just one result and we're at this level and we go again. Exactly, it's it's about standards and you know Thomas Frank is not some sort of authoritarian manager who. Believe me, he gave a, a nice speech to the players and addressing them after the game, told them to enjoy the victory. You know, when I was speaking to Ben Mee in the mix zone, he had a couple of slices of pizza. So it was definitely a good atmosphere in there. But I think what Thomas Frank was trying to translate to the players was, yes, this is a fantastic result. It's a historic result for us. We've beaten Manchester United for the first time since 1938. But if we want to continue that, if we want to have a better season than last season, we can't afford to to kind of take our eye off the ball. We cannot allow standards to to slip. So you'll be back in on Monday and we'll go again. Where do you want to start on United then, Adam? I'm just going to go and hit my head against this wall again. Why do you do that? <laughs> uh, where should we start? Let's probably start straight after the game Saturday night. The players are told that they have to cancel Sunday's proposed day off. Obviously, United don't play until next Monday against Liverpool. So the plan was, you know, definitely for the players not to be going in on Sunday. That very quickly changed. They arrived back in Manchester around 11pm. Obviously, I suppose sleep is always a little bit disrupted, even after you know an early evening game. Um, and then they were told to be in at 9 o'clock in the morning. And when they turned up at 9 o'clock in the morning, they were asked to do something that I actually have never heard of a Premier League manager asking a team to do, which is basically the, the difference in the distance run 
between the two teams, which was around 13.8 kilometres, Eric Ten Hag asked his players, each of them, to run that distance in a session that was, there was no ball work involved, there was nothing technical involved, it was a purely physical request. And, you know, I think a couple of the players were excused uh, due to sort of long-standing medical issues that maybe meant it might not be the best idea, but the vast majority of the squad even those who didn't start. So you can imagine how happy the substitutes that didn't get on the pitch must have been on Sunday morning. Cristiano Ronaldo took part in it, we're told. That's where it was yesterday morning. Then there was a series of meetings, both between Ten Hag and his coaching staff and also Ten Hag and his players, where he sort of tried to explain where he felt they were going wrong. But, I mean, it's just led to another round of frenzied speculation. Ronaldo obviously is absolutely at the heart of that. But there's also there's just ongoing issues in that United team around unity, around harmony. The relationships between the players are really weak. Uh, but Ten Hag, yeah, like I say, I've been speaking to a lot of sports scientists with Premier League experience over this weekend since hearing about that running drill. And they're all saying, you know, if this was something that Tony Pulis, Steve Bruce, Neil Warnock had done, it's something that people would be going nuts about. But Eric Ten Hag's done it. It's all about the psychology and the culture and trying to demand more from his players. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they respond to it. When I heard about this, I was a little bit bemused. And I don't want to bang the Man United in even more chaos than I think is well-known drum. But it smacks a little bit of muted desperation. If you're a new manager coming into a club and after the first two games of the season, you're bringing in your players to do extra running work, that to me says your message isn't getting across. And it also makes me think that Ten Hag almost has like a, a teacher-like relationship with those players. And it almost reminds me a little bit of something that would happen in like a, an army drill. It gives me this sort of impression of Ten Hag as some sort of army lieutenant. And I don't think that's very good for Man United's culture anyways. We've, we've, we've kind of touched upon how Thomas Frank and Adam spoke about Jurgen Klopp as well, these really effusive, bubbly, bright personalities. And of course, there comes a time and a place where manage, managers need to take a really hard line with their players and performances. But is getting them in to just do a session that's solely on running works, solely just physical stuff, really that productive? Would it, been a, would it have been better to kind of have a sit down on Monday morning and forensically go over it all and kind of encourage the players to be really open and honest with each other? I think you might get a better buy in that way. I just think bringing them in to do something like that, as Adam kind of touched upon, seems really archaic 10 years ago, let alone now. I uh, I, I mean, I've spoken to ex-players and they've said exactly that, Jay. You, you, you bring us in, that you fair enough, cancel the day off, bring, bring us in, whatever, but make us sit through the horror show and work out where we, where we went wrong. Um, the flip side to that, I suppose, Adam is... <laughs> Bloody hell, they must have sat through some horror shows and tried to work out where they've gone wrong previously and still not managed to fix it. And the other thing, I suppose, is whilst it probably doesn't go down very well with the players, sports scientists, there's probably like, this seems very old school and and does this really happen in you know 2022? It might play out quite well with a lot of the fans who just want these players punished at the moment for 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 the shambles that they are serving up every week. Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean, we should say, you know, United were very were very much at pains to point out that their sports science medical staff wouldn't approve any kind of workout that would risk players' injuries and things like that. Um but yeah, I mean, I do think it is playing to the gallery slightly in terms of, you know, the supporters 
they want those players to get it, and Eric Ten Hag gave them it on on Sunday morning. Now, I, I suppose what happens next will determine whether that was a good idea. I suppose the flip side is, as you say, you know, Man United managers for the past year, whether it's Solskjaer or whether it's um, Ralph Rangnick, have tried sort of every other approach. You know, they've tried sitting down with the players, they've tried team meetings, they've tried team lunches, and they've not really got anywhere. So maybe Ten Hag is just thinking, if they're not going to get it, this might be the only way to imbue into them that this won't be that this level of application won't be accepted. Manchester United uh, on last night's match of the day two were compared by Farrah Williams and Jermaine Junius. They used uh, Arsenal and Mikel Arteta as a as a comparison, culture change, etc., etc., etc. Talked about Aubameyang and Arteta. Is that the same? For Ten Hag and Ronaldo, do you both think? Does a culture reset happen a lot easier if they've been Ronaldo? But of course, Arteta had owners, technical director, all on side with his decision to get rid of Aubameyang and they'll take the hit. You wonder whether it will be the same with the United hierarchy, don't you? I think at this point, United are at a, a, a real moment where they have to make a decision with Ronaldo. And... The reality is, at the start of the summer, Eric Ten Hag was taking the view that Cristiano Ronaldo is a world-class player. He's got value to add as a, as a striker to his team in a squad that's not overly blessed with strikers. And he, prefer, he basically wanted to spend his money on the defence and midfield this summer. And a striker would probably be the, the focus next summer, although they, they, you know, they were looking at sort of uh, wide forwards, but they haven't been looking really at central strikers um, until the last couple of weeks when Ronaldo's future became uncertain. Now, obviously, what's changed is that Ten Hag has seen evidence since the players returned from from the tour, which obviously Ronaldo wasn't on, citing family or personal reasons. And there was the incident at the end of the Rio Vallecano game where he left the stadium before the match had finished. Ten Hag said other players did the same, though nobody's heard which of those players also left. And then there was the other incident at the end of the game against Brentford on Sunday, where, uh, sorry, on Saturday, where the, the majority of the United players went over to the travelling supporters. Ronaldo didn't do that, despite Steve McLaren, the assistant coach, appearing to ask him to do so. But more fundamentally, I mean, he really he didn't play well on Saturday. None of them played well. But the spirit and harmony of that group, whether it's coincidental, whether it's linked, appears weaker when he's there. And... You know, we spoke to numerous sources over the weekend um, who were, you know, telling us things like there's been days where Ronaldo has been eating lunch by himself at the Man United canteen, the sort of flapping his hands in training sessions, arguing against the high pressing approach. Uh, we did put that to uh, Ronaldo's agents yesterday; they didn't respond. One representative of Ronaldo did say this morning that that's false. Um, though the club were also asked to comment and they declined to comment. You don't need to be, it's one of those things, you don't need to be there to see there is an issue there. We can all see it watching Manchester United at the moment. And and as you say, it's now a choice. If Ten Hag's mind is starting to change, the club have to back him. Otherwise, it's absolutely pointless having him there as manager. Feels like Manchester United have been massively backed into a corner by this whole situation. I know you've kind of alluded to Ten Hag kind of you know, seeing evidence over the last couple of weeks that, that Ronaldo's not had a good impact on the squad. But surely when he was even in discussions to, to take the role, and then when he did first take the role, 
surely he would have spoken to people behind the scenes at Manchester United who would have given him all this information that's happened over the last year since Ronaldo rejoined the club. He would have witnessed some of the stuff himself just from watching, watching TV abroad. Surely he had already kind of had an inclination of what Ronaldo was going to be like. So, he, so Ten Hag's decided... Yep, Ronaldo seems like a difficult character, but I think I've got the managerial nous to kind of work him out and kind of integrate him into the team. And two weeks into the season, it's completely backfired. And so Manchester United are in a position where they can't really afford to let him go because they don't have anyone who's going to replace his goals. But then he's clearly having just such a negative impact on the squad that you, you can't really justify it. And I just think you have to feel sorry for Ten Hag a little bit because every time Ronaldo does something his authority just gets undermined even more. It's just getting chipped away at every single second. Also, Jake, because Ten Hag has spent the summer talking about discipline, talking about authority, punishing players for lateness, um, making them run as they did yesterday. And and every time those little moments of insurrection happens, I think other players are looking at it and saying, well, why should we have to do all this if if he's not doing all of this? As you would in any workplace, that would be the attitude. And I think for a long time there's probably been a level of indulgence with Ronaldo because he's so brilliant, right? And But if you reach a point where you're not scoring all those goals and your impact isn't so positive, then I think people start to look at it and just think, well, what, is it all worth it? The biggest problem United have, however, is um, at the moment, nobody's offering to take him. So, you know, unless they want to terminate his contract, which yesterday they, do, they were denying that they wanted to do, there's not clubs queuing up to sign him. Whether that changes as the transfer window ticks on, let's see. Don't forget, by the way, um, The Athletic has a twice-weekly podcast, uh, Talk of the Devils. It's in the top 10 of comedy podcasts for fans of top 19 other Premier League clubs. Hello, I'm Ian Irving, host of The Athletic's Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils. Join me, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week as we gear up to the huge Liverpool game at Old Trafford on Monday night. We'll preview that match without paying any reference to our meeting with our rivals from last season, of course, and we'll also assess the latest twists and turns in Manchester United's roller coaster of a summer transfer window. You won't get better insight on United anywhere else, and as you'll find, you won't get better cocktails chat either. Just search for Talk of the Devils wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Before we go then, just time to put it in the direction of a few good reads on The Athletic, as well as all the topics we've discussed today. There's also David Ornstein's column, so there's a line in that at the moment saying that City are standing firm on their valuation of Bernardo Silva at €100 million amid Barcelona's interest. And speaking of Barcelona, the Athletics' Dermot Corrigan's got a big read on Barcelona's frantic week to register all of their new signings. Uh, Dermot sent us this message as he was walking out of the Camp Nou on Saturday night. Yeah, after all the summers, lever pulling and narrative twisting and everything, uh, that was a pretty fun way to start the season for Barcelona at the Camp Nou. Barca could have won the game. Lewandowski had a goal ruled out in the first half. He missed a couple of pretty good chances. Barca had another goal ruled out for offside in the second half. A lot of their new signings, nearly all their new signings played. Uh, Rafinha had a couple of shots. You could kind of see how... Barca's business this summer has thrown together a load of of very talented players but Xavi now has a big job on his hands to try and make a team out of them Frankie de Jong came off the bench you know Laporta really still wants to sell him Xavi still rates him and you could see why uh, did pretty well set up a chance for Lewandowski which Lewandowski missed uh, it was interesting as well the fans were quite supportive of de Jong you know he got some cheers when, when he came on some driving runs through the midfield they really needed um, a spark maybe the fans were looking for anybody to help them out and win the game because beforehand so much confidence and enthusiasm around Barca after the summer they've taken their lead from Laporta with his charisma and, and his talk they weren't that worried about where the money's coming from to sign these players they just wanted to get players onto the pitch wanted to be winning games again and um, there were a lot more fans at the stadium 81,000 which was a really big crowd about 25,000 more than when Rio visited towards the end of last season which was a sign of how much enthusiasm how you know maybe in England and around the world people are wondering about all these levers being pulled and the, the kind of financial shenanigans maybe that are going on at Barcelona talk of them mortgaging their future in order to to sign a 34 year old player like Lewandowski it was a pretty exciting start to the season for Barca it was a it was a lot of noise inside the stadium it was a good night and um, disappointing result, I guess but um but yeah but a lot of fun to be there and don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months. Theathletic.com slash football pod. I'm back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.